Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Who are those guys? I'm Galen. And I'm Doug. And we're those movie guys. Bringing movie reviews and previews to the masses since 2007. Today is May 13th, 2007. Coming up on the show, we review the box office smash Spider-Man 3, and then we dip back a couple years to review the film Serenity. And finally, we discuss our top five movie villains. Alright, well first we're going to get started with the box office smash Spider-Man 3. In Spider-Man 3, Peter Parker has to deal with an old friend turned enemy, a host of new villains, an eroding love life, a newfound celebrity status, and an evil space symbiont. Seems like a lot for Spidey to handle, but the first two films met with box office and critical success, so maybe he's up to the task. Unfortunately, while the film has already broken several box office records, it has been slammed by one of the most credible filmmakers in the world, Mr. George Lucas, <laughs> who dubbed it silly. Of course, Mr. Lucas has never done anything silly in his films, except maybe Han stepping on Jabba's tail in the remake of the first movie, and, well, Jar Jar Banks, and, um... <laughs> And maybe the entire prequel trilogy. So, I digress. (laughs) My question to you, Doug, is, does Spider-Man 3 live up to its pedigree, or is it just plain silly? Well, I don't think Spider-Man 3 is silly at all. But I do think it is a terrible movie. (laughs) (laughs) So there's nothing funny about it? No, not really. Alright. I mean, maybe a few parts you chuckle at, but I wouldn't call the movie silly. Okay. Um, first, let's let me go on record for saying I didn't really follow the comics. So right, neither you know, did I. I. None of my review is basing trying to compare this to the comic. What my review will compare this to is the other two Spider Mans, which I liked much better than this okay. one, especially the second one. I think the worst part of this one. Where well, it was kind of two things. The the Peter Parker and Mary Jane parts, those things I loved about the second. I thought the, yes. the way those two interacted with each other, you know, trying to build on a relationship, but of course he's Spider-Man and always has to run out. I, I loved that, and I thought the, the humor he that Sam Raimi added was very well done. He kept it light, he kept it fun. Yeah. Not so much here. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I didn't like was the action scenes. Really? I thought the action scenes were kind of more just the same stuff. Okay, I was on board with most of what you were saying until you brought the action things. I I thought they were the one bright spot of the movie. I thought they were very well done. I thought, in fact, they were better than the other two movies. I disagree. I, I thought every fight boiled down to throwing them against walls. The right. camera was 
so frenetic that you, um, I got almost There were dizzy. parts with that, and, and it seemed to get worse as the movie went on. The, the first fight scene between the new Goblin and Spider-Man, I didn't think the camera was frenet- frenetic at all. But you bring in, um, the, once they start bringing Sandman and uh, towards the final fight scene, it's very bad. So I, I do see where you're coming from there. It was a little spastic. I thought the action scenes in the second one built far more tension. I mean, I, I thought the whole subway scene at the end of Spider-Man 2 was better than anything in here. Well, I, I disagree, but... Yeah, I was on board with you until you said well, that. <laughs> if I can give Spider-Man Three a bright spot, it's the special effects are are fantastic. Yeah, they they've certainly improved, but I still think Spider-Man looks fake. It, it's yeah, it, it's kind of tough for them to animate those type of acrobatics and yeah. not make it look calculated. Yeah, I agree with you there, but it is improving. But I thought you know the the special effects for Sandman and for the black Spider-Man suit were amazing. Yeah. Uh, You know, another thing I thought was a bright spot was I thought it finally got a more interesting cast of villains. I I wasn't a fan of either Green Goblin or Dr. Octopus. I felt basically they were the same mad scientist type of character. I didn't like Green Goblin as well. I did like Dr. Octopus. And... Uh I mainly like Sandman and uh, New Goblin because they they have uh, a, a different dynamic to them than the previous villains have had, and then Venom brings a further change from that. Although I will say, Venom is a personal. I, I never followed the comics, but the only villain I ever liked whenever I watched the Spider-Man cartoons was Venom. And I think he was horribly short-shrifted in this. <laughs> I mean, Sam Raimi has come out on record saying that he doesn't like the Venom character and that he, he didn't want to put him in any of the movies. And I think you see that. He just kind of threw the fans a bone and right. said, well, here you go. Because you get no development of that Eddie Brock symbiont character. So, you know, and, and another problem with having so many villains it, is it, it kind of falls into the X-Men trap of having so many characters, yeah. it becomes a just a befuddled mess. Right. Where you're like, who's this, who's that, who's this person? And especially when everyone not only has their character, but also their alter ego as well. You know, you have Brock Venom, you have New Goblin Harry, Peter... Normal Spider-Man, Symbiont Spider-Man. Right, and I did not like Spider-Man versus Symbiont Spider-Man. Oh, no! I no. mean, it, it, that's like... That's becoming now a, a cliche for, for superheroes, that they yeah. have to kind of fight the dark side of themselves, and it just right. it and it really was, didn't work here. It works all. in Batman Begins. Oh, it's great in Batman yeah. Begins. But it doesn't work in this, and a, a big reason why is because it's so heavy-handed with it. I mean, to the point of giving him an emo haircut <laughs> yeah. whenever he's evil Spider-Man. Yeah. And, and just really heavy-handed with the visual metaphors with with him fighting the inner demon. Right. So I, I definitely agree with that. And also, adding to those parts with the symbiont Spider-Man, I thought they were 
horribly cheesy whenever now, he's see, walking down well, the street. I was gonna. I thought I might argue with you on this. I actually would keep that part in because those were the kind of parts that were included in the second that made it fun. No, you're you're completely wrong. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I I agree with you that the there. The comedic moments are what makes the series Spider-Man, and and from what I hear, the comics were the same way. It always was a little more lighthearted than the other Marvel comics. But I think you get that from char- like the Jonah Jameson character. Right. I mean, who is great? I mean, right. he's fantastic. The actor who plays him is um, help me out here. I can't. J.K. Simmons. But I'll tell you what, I don't think his parts were as good as the I, other two. There I were thought, some good parts, but... I thought his parts were great. He maybe didn't have enough of That's that. maybe what I would say. Yeah, I mean, the camera... When he buys the camera from the little girl, that's, that's hilarious. Pretty funny, that's especially vintage without Jameson. But I, I thought it went too far into comedy whenever it has him strutting down the street in an homage to Saturday Night Fever... And all I kept thinking about in that those scenes, the nightclub scenes, the how n- how he like kept saying, "I feel great." I kept thinking of this is the mask, and I couldn't get that uh, okay. out of my head. I'll agree with you partially. I thought the nightclub scene was absolutely terrible. All right, that scene needed to go. Yeah, but where he's strolling down the street, see, to me that made me. That reminded me of the second Spider-Man, whenever he lost his power and he is trying to move on with his life as just a normal kid and he's kind of strolling down the street to the nice, happy music and people are paying attention to him as a normal Peter Parker. Yeah. That's what I got from this. Now, the nightclub scene, stupid. Yeah. I mean, retarded. But didn't all the, the didn't it remind you of the mask? How they played this symbiote in these scenes? I admit some of like the the dance moves he would do yeah. just randomly on the street. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of stuff you'd see Jim Carrey. Doing. Yeah, and when he jumps on the piano and starts, that's well, exactly like the club scene right. in the mask. Yeah, I I agree with you. The club scene sucked. Yeah, it, it it was terrible. So, I don't know. It's funny, because I think we're probably going to end up reviewing this movie the same, but we're disagreeing well, so much. Well, I'm only disagreeing with you <laughs> on one part, and that's the, the walking down the street. That I'd keep. The nightclub, I wouldn't. Uh, another issue that I have with the film is it... And we got into this with um, J.K. Simmons' Jonah Jameson. They, ha- they waste their best actor. Oh, yeah. J.K. Simmons is one, but then two that are just ridiculous. Bruce Campbell as the Mater D. Mm-hmm. Why even have Bruce Campbell in your movie if that's all you're going to do with him? <laughs> I mean, I, I understand that he has a relationship with Sam Raimi, but I, I can't help but feel they could have given him a juicier part that might have added some of the comedic feel from the second one without crossing the line into cheesy, because... I mean, Bruce Campbell is kind of an expert at that campy comedy that right. doesn't quite cross over. And you can tell even here he's almost trying to break into yeah. that, but he's holding back. Yeah, what he did, I think any actor that could do a French accent could have done just as well. Right. It's just a cheesy role with 
poor accents. I I couldn't help but think that you cast Dave Coulier in that role. Oh and my it would, god! And it would Where have did been that the, come from? And it would have been the same exact role. As most of our audience is saying, who is Dave Coulier? <laughs> well, look it up. <laughs> and the other actor who I think they wasted criminally was James Cromwell. Yeah. Why have James Cromwell right. in your movie if you're going if to give, give him, him like three six lines. lines? Yeah, or six. Yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't count, but but it was truly, it, it's almost a crime to do that. He's right. one of the best actors alive today, and you don't even use him at all. So anyways, like I was saying, I'm pretty sure we're going to score this about uh-huh. the same, although we disagreed on a number of points. What are you going to give Spider-Man 3? Well, if I had to, to reach back, the first one I probably would have given about a 3. Mm-hmm. The second one, probably a 4. This one gets a 1.5. Wow. <laughs> I did not like this one. I'm not going to be that cruel. I'm going to give it a 2. I... I actually did like the action sequences. I agree with you, it's worse than the first and the second. I wasn't a huge fan of them either, but it it definitely doesn't live up to that height. Every once in a while, we like to take a look at a hidden gem. Today, we will review the DVD of a terrific film that very few people have seen, in the hopes of making more people aware of it. The film is 2005's Serenity. The plot follows the outlaw crew of a rundown spaceship named Serenity. As it turns out, most of the ship's crew fought for the losing side in a civil war, which has led them to become interstellar bandits. Of course, things don't stay so simple when it's discovered one of the passengers has a dark secret from her past that others are willing to kill to protect. And so begins one of the great sci-fi action films of recent years. Though I've already killed the suspense, we love this film, or else we wouldn't be bringing it to your attention. But Galen, can you share with the audience why they are missing out? They don't see this. Well, how much time do you have? Because I could probably spend the next half hour at least (laughs) explaining why... You should see this film. You have 30 seconds. (laughs) I'm going to start by saying that it's everything that's right about the sci-fi space opera genre. It gets down. You know, it's a great sense of fun and adventure. Uh, You know, the great sense of humor about itself. Uh, You know, it reminds you so much of the original three Star Wars in the sense of how it feels. Right. You know, it just... it, this group of adventurers going off, and they're they're quick witted. They always have the barbs and the quips back and forth. Right. And actually, I think this has better writing than even the original Star Wars. I thought that did. was a high point with the yes. writing. I love the kind of stylized dialogue, almost the mm. Western theme. Yeah, with the Chinese <laughs> thrown in. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, and just beyond just the dialogue itself, I love the fact that they kind of set up traditional cliche sci-fi moments <laughs> and then throw a curveball Turn them on you. their head. You yeah. know, one of my favorite lines is, do, do you want to run this ship? And whoever he replies, yes. He says, well, well you, can. you can't. Yeah, because, I mean, how many times have you heard someone in 
a movie say, do you want to run yeah. this thing? You think or... you can run this yeah. ship better than you go ahead. Yeah, and you never expect them to say yes. Yeah. Well, I agree. I think the movie is a lot of fun. I, I don't think the movie breaks new ground. It's not like it's setting out to become the, the newest, no. most innovative thing, but it the movie fully realizes that, and like you said, what's done here is done yeah. very, it's very well. It's a genre film. Yes. It's never boring at all. It's got great characters. You, you really grow a bond with them. You really get attached to them. Um, one thing I found interesting, I never watched really the series Firefly that this mm-hmm. is based off of, and it isn't really necessary. I mean, I, no, it's not. I felt just as connected to the characters. I felt just as connected to the plot and what yeah. was going on. I think it it works either way. If you know nothing about Serenity, you can watch it and enjoy it. If you've watched the whole series, it does provide a sense of closure. You meant Firefly. Yeah, what did I you say? You said Serenity. We're <laughs> yeah. trying to get the people to watch Serenity. Serenity, Firefly. Yes. Well, they can watch Firefly, too. It, you know. But, <laughs> anyways, another thing I liked is I thought the action se- sequences were very good. I, yes. I, Enjoyed them a lot. I agree, and it was interesting how they were almost filmed using a kind of documentary-style camera. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're using that with mostly CGI graphics. Interestingly enough, another show I'm a huge fan of, Battlestar Galactica, is filmed in the same style because the people who filmed their special effects shots are the same people who did it for Firefly and later Serenity. That makes Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so I, if you if you were a fan of Battlestar and you like how their action sequences are shot, you would love this because it's the same people. Action sequences aside, though, I'm you know I could even refer to the long take at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, you know, or the very opening shot of the crew. Yeah, they use a long take that almost shows you the entire ship yeah. as it follows the characters around. It's a great scene. They actually use long takes throughout in the they film. Do. And, and it's uh, something that's almost unheard of in that genre. I mean, how often do you see long takes uh-huh. in sci-fi action movies? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you know, I love long takes, even though I have a 10-second attention span. <laughs> yes, it, you it's do. It's something I do really appreciate. <laughs> it is. There, There is something to be said for just letting you watch the characters without cuts or interruption from the director or editor. Right. It allows the actors to kind of just do their work, and if they're charming, if the writing's good, it works. And in this case, it most certainly was. I also really loved, um, I cannot pronounce his first name, uh, Chiwetel Ojafor, and who, who plays the villain in it. I, I thought he was... Very interesting as that kind of cold, methodical assassin. Right. And, and he um, he added some depth to it because he, he was someone who... It's almost like the Magneto effect where he's someone who believes he's doing what's moral, right. what's justified. Well, I kind of thought it was cool because here's a character who, as an assassin, he's kind of nameless. He doesn't have an identity. Right, he's just the obvious. But yet, it's he makes the character so three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there's nothing shallow about it. He did a really great job. Yeah, it, fantastic. And the acting all around is great. I yes. love Nathan Fillion. Hmm. And he just has that perfect deadpan timing. 
Another movie he was great in is Slither. Slither. I thought you'd say yeah, that. He he's just fantastic. He has this delivery that very few people can match. So I love that as well. And really, all the entire cast was great. I I thought Adam Baldwin was hilarious as yeah. Jamie. So. Um, one other high point I'd like to bring up, this is kind of getting away from the acting, but was the soundtrack. Most of the soundtrack to the movie is kind of simple acoustic guitar, which mm-hmm. is unheard of for a sci-fi yeah. film. But, you know, it, it works. It helps to reinforce kind of the Western style yeah. that the movie has. And the actual, I don't know if I want to call it title track, but the, the, the primary main mm-hmm. theme to the movie is great. I love it. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the soundtrack kind of combines... The acoustic guitar kind of sound you'd hear in a western with Chinese sound throughout. And also a Celtic element as well. It's a very strange mix, but it really works. It does. So is there anything that you did not like about this movie? I tried to think (laughs) of something, but I couldn't. Yeah, me as well. The only thing I can think of is so few people saw it, we'll probably never see another one. So that's the only bad thing that I can think of. Uh, so, Doug, what are you going to rate Serenity? Well, I just said I couldn't think of anything bad, so I have to give it a 5. Yeah, I'm giving it a 5 as well. It's the best Star Wars movie made in the past 25 years. Seeing as how we reviewed the blockbuster movie Spider-Man 3 and discussed a film from the sci-fi genre, these two movies typically known for their good villains, we're going to go over our top five movie villains. And Galen, I'll let you start us off. All right, well, my number five is kind of the epitome of movie supervillain, Ernst Stavro Blofeld from the James Bond series. Oh, wow. Good choice. (laughs) Nobody... His before him, the idea of the supervillain who wanted world domination didn't really even exist. You know, it, so many things of his his have been ripped off. His petting the Persian cat. You know, mm-hmm. Marlon Brando used that in Go- The Godfather. You know, and of course we have uh, Mike Myers as Doctor Evil and Austin Powers. Oddly enough. My number five choice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Well, that's that's an interesting pairing. Well, I guess I didn't think back to the original James Bond movies, but I always thought Dr. Evil was funny. And in the newer Austin Power movies, the ones I don't really care for as much, I still thought Dr. Evil was a funny character and was always given the best lines of the movie. Oh, absolutely. You know, the one that kind of got to stay away from the poop jokes. Yeah. (laughs) I I definitely agree with that. I... I, I was torn, and I was thinking about him and a few other villains from comedies. You know, I even thought of Shooter McGavin and a few others. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, I decided just to keep serious ones. But that's that's a great pairing for our number <laughs> yeah. fives. My number four choice is Ra's al Ghul from Batman Begins. He, I, I just thought that he's probably the best Batman villain we have to date. Really, it's it's kind of that dynamic, once again, of a villain who believes he's doing what's right. And that makes him interesting. It makes him a rounded character rather than the Blofelds of the world that are just evil for the sake of being evil. 
he's really someone who thinks that he's trying to make the world a better place. Well, I kind of, again, went the more lighthearted route. I took the Joker from the <laughs> Batman series as my number four choice, just because I thought Jack Nicholson played an excellent character. I He did. Of the uh, previous four Batman, or the movies before Batman Begins, I thought the Joker was the best Oh, one yeah. of the four, and I think that first movie was the best of the four, clearly. Absolutely. And I certainly don't disagree with your choice of Raz al Ghul. I mean, he was great, but yeah. I just, I don't know, I got into a lighthearted moment, I guess. Yeah, that is yeah. interesting, because I considered the Joker, too, but once again, I went with the more serious villains that I I felt were serious threats, but I love Jack Nicholson as the Joker <laughs> as well, and he easily could have made my my number three is Little Bill from Unforgiven, Gene Hackman's character. He plays the sheriff. He's really a kind of, it, once again, someone who just wants to run his town. He believes he's doing, he's morally justified for doing what he does. He has kind of a dictatorial control over this small town in the film. And he does some really vile things, has some great lines between him and Eastwood, and you really grow to hate him by the end of the movie. That's uh, a, a fine choice, and yet again I opt for the more light-hearted choice. I chose Scar from the Lion King movie, oh. just because I will never forget watching that movie. You... He was a fearsome character, especially yeah. for a Disney movie. Oh, I mean, yeah. He was kind of had darker motives, more, very much so, more sinister. He probably has the most violent death of any Disney probably. character, too. Right. And uh, I'll never forget even seeing it, all the kids suddenly crying at that moment. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty vicious fight between him and Simba at the end. So. That is a good choice. And once again,. I was thinking about it, but I was like, well, I, I chose against it, but definitely a worthy addition. Well, my number two choice, Hannibal Lecter. Ooh, good choice. <laughs> I don't know if there's anyone that you love and at the same time are disgusted by as Hannibal Lecter. I mean, Anthony Hopkins, this is really the role he's most known for, right. and that's why in so many roles he kind of almost plays the same type of character. And he's just vicious. And at the same time, though, the audience can't help but love the guy because he's so charismatic, so well-spoken, and you definitely feel that he has a kinship with Clarice, and you you feel he's almost like a protective guardian angel over her. And... He's warped and twisted, but at the same time, you you just can't help but love him, no, no matter what what he does. It's really one of the more complicated relationships a viewer will have with a character in a movie. Well, I think that was an excellent choice, one that I will admit I didn't think of. My number two choice, I finally decided to turn serious, and I chose Captain Vidal from Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. There are a lot of scenes, you know, especially when some of the characters are sneaking around when you, you learn what side everybody's on in yeah. this war. 
you're really frightened that he doesn't enter into the picture because you know how sinister he is, how mean he can be, and sure enough, at the end, when he gets what's coming to him, you're you're right there cheering on the heroes. Absolutely, and the, the I, I'm ashamed I didn't think of that probably because I'm saving the Pan's Labyrinth for next week's show. Yeah, can you people but, tell what star rating we're going to give this movie <laughs> yeah. in our review? Yeah, next week is sort of our uh, our Guillermo del Toro <laughs> show. But, yeah, that's definitely a great choice. And I liked him because in a lot of ways he seems like a flat, stereotypical villain. Like you'd expect to see from a fairy tale. Right, because right. he, you know, in a fairy tale, villains are bad and heroes are good. And there's not a whole lot of gray. But then there are several moments where you expect him to blow up, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever she dirties her dress. Right. And you expect him to blow up, but he doesn't. And whenever he finds the the um, the stem, or whatever right, you want to call it, the under the bed, you, you expect... He does get angry, but the mother says, you know... I'll handle this. And he just leaves. He just lets her handle it. Then you see shocking moments of brutality and see what he's capable of. So he is a lot more complex than originally you think. So a fantastic choice. Well, my number one, I have a feeling we may have the same one. Maybe not. Mm -hmm. Probably. But my number one choice is Darth Vader. Yes, we do have the same (laughs) number one. And, you know, we're huge Star Wars fans. I know we kind of spent this show slamming George Lucas a few times into the wall, but, <laughs> but he's earned that. And he also earns, though, for the original prequel, he really created one of the better villains in Darth Vader. I certainly agree with you there. I I love the arc that you get to see of his character, how he changes and eventually redeems himself and it's it's totally believable why he does what he does and how he does it and it when it's funny how whenever it starts he's just little more than a movie monster right. i mean almost to a level of a king kong or an alien where you don't even know if he's human or not right but as it progresses as it goes along, he becomes more and more human, and finally entirely human, and is unmasking. And, I mean, aside from the, the great the level of depth he's given, of course he's recognizable by the sound of his machine. Exactly. I mean, even people who are not Star Wars fans at all, you you let them hear that sound and they'll be able to tell you who it is. Yeah. Oh, and Vader is someone who everyone knows by sight. Right. In fact, even by silhouette. If you have a silhouette of Darth Vader's right. face, you know who it is. Right, the helmet and the cape alone. Yeah, there's no question of it. So, I, I that does not surprise me we both picked that, <laughs> but definitely, I think, a worthy choice for number one. Yes, I agree. And that that's George Lucas's bone that will throw him for slamming <laughs> him the rest of the show. So, we, those are our movie villain lists, and we... Love to hear feedback from you if you want to email us your movie list at thosemovieguys at gmail.com or post your list to our message boards.
Okay, that's all for today's show. If you would like to review any of the ratings that we gave the movies that we covered today, please visit thosemovieguys.blogspot.com. There you can find more in-depth reviews, our star ratings, as well as links to items that we may have covered in the show. Plus, you can subscribe to our feed. Also, you can visit Google Groups at groups.google.com. When you're there, search for Those Movie Guys. You can post a message to our forums. And you can also email us at thosemovieguys at gmail.com. It's thosemovieguys at gmail.com. We look forward to any feedback that you can give us about why we're retarded. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.